Welcome to episode 109 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudfield, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with one of Australia's best trail runners, Kelly Emerson. Now, Kelly's list of achievements is as long as your arm, so she's won Ultra Trail Australia 100K. Uh, she's a three-time champion at the Surf Coast Century. She placed fifth at the extremely prestigious UTMB over in Chamonix in France, which is an extraordinary achievement. She's represented Australia at multiple uh, trail and mountain running championships. Uh, she's an occupational therapist, a running coach. She's a PhD. She's actually 30 weeks pregnant at the moment with her second bub. So some really interesting perspective on running through pregnancy and post-childbirth there. And, and also balancing an incredibly busy lifestyle with uh, high-level running and, and kids at the same time. So heaps of great stuff to share with Kelly. She was a wealth of information, an amazing person to chat to. So I hope you enjoy the podcast this week. Uh, before I get started, I'd just like to thank our podcast partners, Guy Me Allied Health, Base Camp Altitude, Fractel, Goo Energy, Running Matters Coaching, Raid Light, Ranala, Cronulla Bico and Coda Nutrition. Don't forget to jump on and check out those discount codes and uh, support our podcast partners. Uh, so I'll uh, wrap it up and get Kelly on the phone. Enjoy the interview. Thanks, guys. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly Emerson. How are you? Hi. Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No, no problem at all. Thanks for giving up your time on a Wednesday night. Nice and chilly outside in Sydney. How about down your way? Yeah, it's um, it's getting very cold in Melbourne. We've had a few four or five degree mornings really and the days just seem so short it's awful yeah and the, the running gloves and beanie out now mm, yep <laughs> so i've uh, i've already sort of detailed the, the incredible list of achievements across you know many continents and certainly in australia but i'd love to know kelly where did uh, the love of running sort of stem from with you yeah it's a good question i'm not i'm not really sure i didn't start till very late um, I always played team sports growing up, so netball and basketball, and um, I didn't start running until maybe my late teens or early 20s, and I uh, did run for the kids with my cousin, and um, I had no idea that I could actually run that far, um, but I actually enjoyed it, and um, I guess the type of person that I am, I figured if I could run 14Ks, I could probably run a half marathon, and it just sort of grew from there. So 14 was the initial uh, initial crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how long after that were you sort of lining up for 100K, 100-mile sort of races? Yeah, it was probably a couple of years. Um, I, I think I joined a, a local running club called Running in the Burbs um, as a, as a lead into the half marathon at Run Melbourne. And then I ended up training for, I think, three marathons with them over the next couple of years. And then we did Oxfam Trail Walker um, as a team together and um, signed up to a couple of ultras leading up to that and just really enjoyed it and started doing well and, and sort of started getting a bit more competitive. So, mm-hmm. and, and so Oxfam was the uh, initial sort of foray into some trail running then for you? Yeah, it was, yep. Yeah. yeah, and how was the first experience there? How long were you guys out there for? Oh, I think it was about 15 hours maybe. Okay. Um, and it was an interesting experience running 
uh, as a team of four and trying to keep everyone on the same page is is really challenging. Mm -hmm. um, but I did go back and do it another four times. So yeah. Ah, there you go. Yeah, myself included. I did. Yeah, that was my first trail run, and I went back five times for Oxfam Sydney. So certainly yeah. got the bug from that one. Now we'll, uh, we'll we'll go into some uh, you know some list of achievement stuff. But at the moment, you, you're currently thirty weeks pregnant. Is that right, Kel? I am. Yep. How, how's the body <laughs> holding up at the moment? It's not too bad. I'm, uh, this is my second pregnancy, so um, I'm feeling a lot larger this time around, and the running is not quite as comfortable. Um, but still trying to keep up a couple of runs a week. And yeah, that's good. Run walking and listening to my body. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess in terms of um, your, your expertise in, in the health space, have you got any advice for other listeners sort of moving up towards, you know, full-term pregnancy and, and their running? Yeah, look, there's a lot of conflicting advice out, of the, out, out there. And, um, you know, the traditional way was that women are meant to rest and not do anything. Um, but that advice has changed a lot and there's lots of resources out there um, to help now, including um, Sports Medicine Australia have a position statement on, on um, exercise during pregnancy. Um, it's a little bit harder to find information on endurance sports during pregnancy. And, you know, for me early on, um, I, I raced a few times um, and it was hard trying to make that call of what was safe and what was appropriate to be doing mm -hmm. um, I ended up pulling out of um, Surf Coast 100 but I did the 50 um, so that was my <laughs> my compromise <laughs> um, but you know I think the main thing is just to listen to your body um, you know your body it knows when it's when it's it's not feeling right and you just need to find alternative ways to keep moving yeah okay and i guess in terms of listening to your body there what are you what are you listening for like what stopped you from doing the 100k yeah at, at that time you know that was i was uh, eight weeks pregnant i think um and it was trying to get advice from an obstetrician um initially but you know it's hard to find an obstetrician who um understands endurance athletes as well um but also trying to do my own research on what other people had done. There's not, you know, it's a pretty hard thing to <clears throat> study in, in the lab. So there's not, there's not much out there. Um, so it was looking at case studies for other people. Um, but I think the main factor was just is the social perception of if something had gone wrong, you know, you're going to get a lot of backlash saying that that could be the reason, but um when that's not necessarily the case but you know i didn't want to i didn't want to have that on my shoulder i guess <laughs> so yeah, it's just cool. making that call yeah. and, and i guess there's not too many yeah, obstetricians out there that are willing to make a call you know in, in a positive way they're always going to be pretty risk averse there um, exactly yeah and she, she didn't tell me not to do it but she you know she, she was heavily encouraging me to reconsider yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah the 50k was a compromise <laughs> you should have found uh my wife's obstetrician the great james offman who did oxfam with us a few times so he certainly understood the endurance space what about um post uh giving birth to your son how, how quickly were you back running and how's your experience there yeah, so um, I guess I had, again, there's a lot of conflicting advice and um, there's a lot of uh, misinformation on social media as well. Um, and I think in this in this trail running world, um, there's a lot of pressure, and not necessarily pressure, but um, uh, what's the word, I guess, 
overexcitement or you know the the wrong sort of encouragement for, for mm. people just to get back to what they were doing yeah. you know in the past sort of thing. Time. and you know that's not always appropriate so I was pretty keen on you know I guess as a researcher myself as well in spreading the right message so there is a um a working group looking at um postnatal return to exercise guidelines return to running guidelines um that have been put together uh, maybe a couple of years ago so I basically used that so I saw that as sort of the gold standard to, to aim for and that was basically not attempting to run before three months postpartum mm-hmm. um so I started off walking a lot I got on the um, stationary bike um ended up doing a bit of strength work with a postnatal exercise group and then at three months I just started a catch for 5k program went right back to basics um and I sped I sped it up a little like I might have done four runs a week instead of three as I as I moved through it um but I felt that that worked really well and I was able to come back really strong so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess how patient were you with that process? Like, um, were you a champion of the bit there, or you're you pretty strict on it? No, look, I, th- I think I was I was pretty good. As I said, I sped up the the catch to five k a little bit, but not not heaps. I might have done it over over five weeks instead of eight, or you know, six weeks instead of eight. Um, but I think in a way, COVID probably helped as well because. You know, we went back into lockdown and there weren't a lot of races for me to, to do. Um, so it was probably a bit more forced rest as well. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, you know, I, I got back into some pretty serious training and I managed a 5K PB um, at maybe six months postpartum um, of, all, you know, an all-time PB yeah. for me. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting just to see how the body responded. Yeah, fantastic. Big yeah. unknown. And I believe you said a, uh, a 5K PB while pregnant at about 18 weeks or so, like a couple of months back doing a park run. Oh, that was that was an, that was an 18-week PB yeah. compared yeah. to the <laughs> previous pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was a very fast. But I was, I was happy with myself at the time. <laughs> it's got to be some sort of record. I can't imagine too many uh, 18-week pregnant women are running 19 minutes for 5K. It's pretty solid. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what 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 do you think um, about being a top level ultra runner prepares you well for pregnancy and and for for having kids? Do you think it's a, a helpful thing? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, it's interesting though because I remember when I was preg- uh, pregnant with my first baby. And all of the midwives and everyone that I spoke to was, was sort of like, oh, you're an ultra runner. Oh, you're going to breathe through through the birth. This is going to be, you know, it's just another marathon. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that was the case. It was, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty traumatic and pretty intense. And uh, I would prefer to run a marathon any day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think it, with everything else, I think it helps um you know just the juggle and the drive and the motivation you know even things like like breastfeeding like um you know that was the hardest six weeks of my life you know initially trying to get that started but I think having all the skills from running ultras definitely helped with my motivation to keep 
pushing and 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 try and make sure that 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 happens so yeah okay it's all just very process oriented stuff and goal driven yeah. stuff so yeah yeah okay. sure. I, I like that and, and look is there a downside to being a top level athlete and uh, you know being pregnant and having kids um yeah well there's probably a few things is one i think you know we have a really strong pelvic floor but i think that that can work against us in in trying to deliver a baby mm-hmm. um and two just the juggle of trying to get back into comp- competition when you're trying to juggle a family mm-hmm. um and you know i think your perception on training changes you just have to get out the door when you can um you can't do everything that you want um you know i definitely didn't get back into all of the strength work and things that i would like to do because I really, you know, this last year I've only really felt I can get out for one session a day as opposed to two and, you know, that, that, that side of things is a lot harder. And so is that the first thing to, to go for you? Is that sort of strength session if you had to, to miss something? Yeah, as a coach, I definitely say don't do that. <laughs> but as an athlete, I end up doing that. <laughs> um, and it's funny because when, like, initially after having, having my son, it was much more about strength work. So, and I think that really helped um, probably build that base back to then be able to run without injury. Mm. Um, but it definitely dropped off, yeah. yeah okay. and, and what was your first race post uh, having a bub? Yeah, so the first race was Warby Trail Fest. Mm-hmm. I did the 14K and then I did the, no, I did a four and a half K and then I did 14K the next day. Yeah, okay. And, and also, that was mostly just about participating and, you know, feeling a part of an event again. And then I probably, my first competitive race was UTA to 22. 22, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, it looks like you've gotten, you know, around to some different parts of the world over the last few months. Like, so, well, you know, participating in some trail stuff, the Warby Trail Fest, Noosa Trail Festival. I think it's pronounced Kanani Trail Series in, in Tassie. Um, yep. Yeah, it, was it sort of a, a, a deliberate decision to go and see some different places or you, they, they were courting you to get there? Um, yeah, look, I guess, you know, one of the benefits of um, being an elite athlete is, and being on the trail scene is being able to go and see different parts of Australia and different parts of the world. We haven't been able to travel um, internationally for the last few years, so it's making the most of what we can do in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's that's such a huge um, drive for me in this sport is is being able to see new places and climb new mountains and um, yeah, I was just lucky enough that all of, we've had all these events um, finally happening um, after COVID and um, yeah, I was an ambassador for some of them, but for others, just getting involved and yeah, the Kanani one was a the new sky race, um, the first of its kind in Australia. So yeah. Um, I was fairly heavily pregnant, but it was nice to just get involved anyway and, and hike it. Yeah, and, and you had a crack at the, the VK race from the looks thing. Yeah. 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 So. How, how, uh, how long was the race? How, how long do they need to get up a K? Uh, it was just under four, uh, under 5K. So 5K is a K. 4.8K, 1,000 metres. Yeah. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I've heard some pretty good things about the Warby Trail Fest. Um, can you sell it to someone from New South Wales? Yeah, it's a great event. Um, there's, you know, there's so many different distances to choose from, from 50K to um, down to 4.5K. Um, there's a the Donna Double, which goes up Mount Donabuang, um and back. Um, so really solid. 
you know, thousand meter plus climb yeah. and then all the way back down. Um, and then on the on the Monday, on the Labor Day public holiday, there's a Lilo race. So that's the sort of the end of everything. And it's a lot of fun. You have to run up the river with your Lilo and then you float back down. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds that's good. Can you, can you have a beer on the way back down? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, <laughs> have to wear a helmet. That's all. Safety. All right. I can do that. Keep this hair in check. It's a good idea. Um, and, and did you get a chance to chat with uh, Craig Alexander up at Noosa? I believe he's entered the um, yeah the trail running trail running races now. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we did a, went for a little training run together. It was nice to catch up with him. Yeah, the, the amazing bloke. Oh, bloody oath. Yeah, we've had him on the show before. He's a legend. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think we'd get him across the line on a 25K trail race. That's interesting. No, but he did well that day too. I think he was in the top three. So, yeah. Yeah, I believe he was on the podium. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. All right, well, I guess we should talk about uh, some, some of your non-pregnant exploits. So, um, you, you've had the great opportunity to represent Australia a number of times and d- different events. And uh, we, we previously had... Had a few of the participants from the the 2016 Trail World Championships in Portugal on the show. Um, I, I want you to answer a multiple choice question for me. Right. So, so who likes a beer more, Brendan Davies, Vlad Ixel, or John O'Loughlin? <laughs> oh gosh, um, probably Brendan, but the other two I probably spent more time with there. Um, post race drinking beers so <laughs> and I remember very clearly that Jono accidentally booked an Airbnb in the completely wrong town <laughs> and uh, yeah that was a bit of a disaster <laughs> <laughs> I think you very, very fun memories from that event that was um well that was a really really challenging race <laughs> yeah blue was pretty warm 85k is a tough terrain really tough technical terrain it was like running through a riverbed the entire time and the a stations were really far apart and everyone ran out of water and i did um, my claim to fame is that i actually beat brendan that day (laughs) he did passed out at one of the a stations that i managed to get past him um but i also (laughs) rolled my ankles i reckon about 30 times each that day and i was so determined to finish and i know i did but um, my ankles were stuffed for probably at least the next six months. Oh, really? Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and how do you go in terms of, I guess, motivation, you know, representing Australia versus competing individually? Do, do you find that different or is it just still a, a race for you? Um, it, look, it's still, when, once you start competing overseas, you know, you, you've got to be humble and, and realise that you're amongst all the best in the world and it's it's a lot harder to to be on the podium um so you know it's more about you know i think it's always about more about racing yourself and racing your own times and not worrying too much about your competition Mm -hmm. yeah enjoying the experience it's such an individual sport i guess when it comes down to it you're out there on your own for a long period of time yeah Um, yeah and and do do you see uh i guess now, different organisations sort of getting together at some point and that sort of, I guess, world championships being a little bit more uh, structured and, um, I guess, combined. There's quite a few different arms of it going at the moment. Yeah, look, there's so many different disciplines within the trail running space. Um, 
and it seems really crazy. So I've represented Australia in the trail running world champs and the mountain running world champs, but essentially it's the same thing. You're doing exactly the same thing. So um, it's really nice that they're finally combining those two. Mm. Um, so the, the world champs, I think it's in Thailand this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was meant to be last year. Um, yeah, so it's great that they're finally starting to align some of those things, but you know, you've still got sky running, you've still got, you know, the, the little you've got the spartan trail world champs there's so many different things out there now so um it's hard you know i think i saw killian post last week about it um and created quite a lot of discussion just about how hard it is to get the best of the world in the one spot because mm. you know everyone's vying for different for the you know to win these different events whereas it'd be great just to have one and, and get the best of the best at, at one event <laughs> Yeah, and is there any chance of, you know, an overarching Australian body coming into existence, for example? Yeah, so at the moment we've got Aura, um, the Australian Ultra Runners Association, and we've got the Mountain Running Association, um, and we've got the leg of the International Trail Running Association, um, amongst others. So, you know, I think that we're starting to bring those together a little bit more, but... Who knows where it'll end up? <clears throat> yeah, and, and I guess there's you know there's different egos to keep under control, and there's different sort of interests there. Um, is, is there any involvement for Athletics Australia in such a venture? Um, so Athletics Australia are heavily involved in in the mountain running scene, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the historical thing. So um, yeah, it's great that uh, mountain running and trail running will be combining. And also, I guess, the fact that um, Athletics Australia have now supported a level three trail and ultra coaching course, which is what uh, myself and Matt um, uh, attended recently. Well, I've I've been developing it over the last year and uh, Matt came back off. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess good opportunity to chat about that. So it was only just just quite recently, the level three trail and ultra two-day course, I believe. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I guess how did it go over with the participants? Um, from, from what Maddie said, it was, it was an impressive course. Yeah, I, I think that it went really well. Um, so we ran a pilot recently in Canberra after 12 months of, of developing the content mm-hmm. um, with Jordan and Anne-Marie from New South Wales and myself. Um, and we've tried to make it really evidence-based where possible. We've tried to, you know, include all of the the key important research and things onto various elements of trail and ultra and um, be able to equip coaches out there with the right information and the right qualification um, to, you know, to be, um, I guess, accredited in a way under the banner of, of Athletics Australia. And uh, how, how terrible was Jordan Anderson at using hiking poles? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm trying to think if he actually agreed to. I think he did at one one point. He wasn't wasn't too terrible. I, I think I have it on film actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't trying to, trying to convince him to buy a pair of trail running shoes is a completely other matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's staunch. He's a big big, big one for the split shorts, Jordan. <laughs> and um, how, how crappy a student was Matty North in the end? Did he did he listen to anything you said? He did well. Yeah, <laughs> that was great to have him in there. Oh, look, you don't have to say it just because we're here. You can. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, I, I guess um, I asked Jordan this before um, as he was developing the course. Um, I'd just like to know what what 
trail runners can learn from road runners and vice versa? Like what what sort of uh, great crossover lessons are there? Um, look, I think there's a lot. Um, I guess from road runners, trail runners can learn to pace better and to, um, I guess, just about more structured training probably. Um, I think, you know, trail runners tend to be a lot more flippant with, with their training. So it's probably more, um, you know, they can learn to, to focus more on their quality training. Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa, I think road runners can learn to have more fun with their training as well. And, um, you know, not, you know, to try different surfaces for injury prevention and to go to different places to, you know, um, enjoy the experience more than just being focused on pounding the pavement all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm um, training for for a marathon for the first time in forever and and doing a structured program under a coach. And I find that it it does make it difficult to go and do new things and try new surfaces and all that sort of stuff because you're you're trying to hit 10Ks at such and such time and blah, blah, blah. So you don't tend to run up and down a hill when you're doing that. So, yeah, I I think that's good. I think some, uh, some, some fun always helps. Um, and, and in terms of your own training, do you tend to structure yourself pretty closely or are you a little bit sort of laissez-faire about it? Um, look, I, I've had a couple of coaches and so I've been, I, I try and be structured, but since having my son, um, I, I didn't go back to, to having a coach. Um, I just sort of, I found that I was improving uh, under my own guys um for the time being and i i felt like um i didn't want the pressure of feeling like i had to do a session if i wasn't feeling up to it if i didn't have time so um it's been a bit more uh, variable in the last 12 months um but we'll see what happens after the birth of this one and as i sort of push towards some big events again Mm. And, and look, have the goalposts changed for you in that sense like um you're still pushing towards some some big events as you say yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely have more to give, and there's more, lots more that I want to do. Um, I've been signed up to Western States for the past few years now, and I've had to keep deferring for pregnancy, so and COVID. Um, so that's still on the cards. Um, probably not next year. I think I'm going to need more than twelve months to prepare for that. But mm-hmm. um, 2020, 24. I think 24. Fingers crossed, I'll be there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed, and and so they've actually brought that in that deferral because of pregnancy as part of their entry process yeah so they're one of the only races that actually do that and allow you to defer for up to three years okay brilliant per pregnancy i believe so yeah that's it's been nice to know that that's an option yeah it's a great step forward for sure yeah. and, and and i guess in terms of um you know international trail running monuments so you're crowning achievement in my mind looking through the result sheet was a fifth place at UTMB in 2017 um individually on that congratulations fantastic result um yeah was was that your first 100 miler Kelly it was yeah yeah Yeah. and and I guess you know apart from being probably the biggest trail race in the world what, what drew you to that particular race um yeah I guess just knowing that it was a big one of the biggest ones in the world um I think I was supported by Hoka at the time already. It seemed like so long ago now. Um, and I had been with my husband 
uh, maybe two years before that, I think, and did the OCC. And that was my first introduction to Euro European trails. Mm -hmm. um, and he did UTMB. So I had already had a bit of an insight into what it was like. And it was, you know, even just supporting that race is like the most exciting thing ever. It's, it's such mm -hmm. a, a cool experience being there. So to have the opportunity to actually run the race was pretty awesome and um, definitely, you know, took the opportunity when it was there. And, and, and look, did you expect to run 28 hours and, you know, come top 10 there? Was that, you know, a real left field kind of scenario for you or was it, you know, part of the part of the plan? Uh, I had absolutely no idea what to expect going into that race. I think the longest event that I'd ever been on my feet was that first Oxfam mm -hmm. um, many years before. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I was expecting to, I predicted to be out there for uh, maybe 30 hours. Um, so I was pretty stoked to, coming under that um particularly considering the conditions that we had um it was pretty wild um you know it had been really hot and sunny all week and then that day the weather changed and um we had minus 10 overnight mm. and I've never been so cold in my life and we, we got through the night and I thought okay you know we're past that it's all going to be good now and then after Kumea you sort of on this side of this mountain for for ages and uh, we're in shadow and got into another blizzard on the top of the next mountain and that was even worse than the night, the night before <laughs> so um, yeah it was it was a, it was an interesting experience but I really surprised myself that day um, yeah. yeah oh it's an amazing amazing performance um and I guess um yeah, how, how, how did you cope with the cold in terms of your uh, inability to keep pushing? It must have been a new experience there for you. Yeah, um, I absolutely hate the cold. <laughs> and I hate training through Melbourne winter. Um, but I, I think all of that helped. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really stop to put on any pants or anything. I had shorts on the entire race, which is probably pretty silly in hindsight. Um but, you know, three pairs of gloves. Um, my hand, I get uh, Raynards as well, so I couldn't actually use my hands for half the race. And every time you change elevation, um, the temperature changes as well. So you were constantly, you just had to have layers and stripping on and off. Um, often I couldn't actually use my hands. I'd have to ask other people to help dress me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I guess other, other things were just, you know, when you did get to an aid station, drinking some hot soup and trying to just find ways to get warm. <laughs> did you uh did you take in any of the uh the meats and cheeses at the uh the aid stations kelly i think in the first year i did yeah <laughs> i make the most of the smorgasbord that is the french aid station <laughs> that's right I, I was actually there that year that you uh you ran i did the ccc that year and so uh awesome. yeah on top of the colder grand cold of ferret or something like that just getting blown absolutely sideways and yeah. uh, my eyes absolutely froze over i couldn't see a thing coming down some of those hills so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was intense that's for sure yeah. Yeah. never been happier to be at the bottom of a hill <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and look i guess how did that compare to, to two years later heading back over to do utmb still an amazing performance and a top 20 finish um uh, were your expectations sort of in, in that realm again or how did you feel yeah, so I had the opportunity to go back a year later and I knew that I would put too much pressure on myself to perform and I didn't think that I could ever <laughs> finish top five again. So I chose to do, um, um, I've just gone blank. What's the other one? TDS. TDS. 
Yeah. I tried to do TDS instead, and then um, I finally worked up the courage to go back to UTMB the, the, two years later. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I knew it was going to be really tough um, because I knew what to expect this time. And, um, you know, yeah, I did have that hanging over me that I had done so well before. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't have the race that I wanted, and I know that I could do so much better than that. Um, I had a really great start, and you know, I think I led um, the first 10k, and then I had some issues with my shoes, and then I had some UTI symptoms. And um, by the time I got to Kumeo at the 80k mark, I was um, weighing blood, and um, it wasn't looking great. So um, I knew that I really wanted to finish, and um, if I was going to do that, I had to really pull back the pace and um, just drink heaps and eat heaps and just keep moving steadily. So that's what I did. And I, you know, I ended up um, coming good and I overtook a few people towards the end. And so I was really happy to come top 20 given the, the everything that happened. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely know that had everything gone my way, um, I could have done a lot better than that. But that's ultra. You just, there's yeah. so many different variables that need to come together on the day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive to change the goalpost mid-race like that and uh, find the will to keep going. You'd certainly be forgiven for packing up and jumping in a chalet with a bucket full of cheese, that's for sure. <laughs> it was very tempting. <laughs> a couple of those warm little chalets, ooh, that's tough. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, you, you've done quite a lot of racing overseas, but, I mean, comparing that to lining up at an ultra in, in Australia, are your expectations to hit, hit the podium, you know, when you when you race over here? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's a completely different you, – you have a different vibe going into it, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess how, how do you manage that in terms of, um, you know, if you have that same scenario where you feel a bit – bit crook doing ultra trail or Brisbane trail ultra do you, do you think you keep going in that scenario or you know are the expectations to, to land on the podium going to stop you from finishing that race yeah it's a good question um I always up until now I always have kept going um I've always found a way I guess you learn through racing all the time that you know you, you're always going to have low points so um you know I've learned to push through those and I've learned different strategies to be able to keep myself going and generally you always come good again so it's remembering that that you know that that does happen and um you know often there's been plenty of races where you know I have had that low point but then I've managed to come back and win um a few people have, have given me the name of Pac-Man because I'll <laughs> just sort of eat them back up again as I go um so I guess it's <laughs> I guess it's knowing that you know, that I have the capability and the drive to be able to do that. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And eat those delicious white balls. That <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is a great but, name. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if it was if it was really, if I'd done a serious injury that I would, you know, I'd, I would try and make a smart call about it. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most it's of the time it's not at that point, is it? You know, like, yeah, you might have some crappy guts or, you know, feel a bit tired or whatever. It's typically not broken legs that are stopping us doing these things so oh, that's right yeah that's great um one race that i did see that you know peaked my bucket list fomo is uh madeira over in portugal how, how was that experience that was awesome um i would um encourage anyone to go there it's amazing um we uh i can't even remember where i went 
was a few years ago. Um, but it's like Jurassic Park. There's this island in the middle of nowhere um, and just these sheer rock faces, you know, all of the roads go through tunnels and you come out the other side and it's sunny and then you go through another one, it's raining and, um, you know, amazing waterfalls and everything. Um, I think we had terrible weather. I would love to go back there in summer mm. actually enjoy some of the rock falls and things. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting race. It starts at a really weird time of night. Um, and I also had some issues with the cold there. Um, I think we, it had been raining, I think, from the start. And then um, I remember coming into an aid station quite close to another girl. And my husband, as my support crew, sort of said, oh, do you want to you know, put some dry clothes on? And I thought that I knew the profile of the race in my head. So I thought, no, 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 we're, you know, we're not going any higher now. We're coming back down. The temperature should be fine. But I, what I forgot to think about was the, the wind and which side of the mountain we were on. And just the wind chill factor was ridiculous. And um, yeah, I was, I was freezing for that, ne that next section. So I learned my lesson from then on, you know, if, you, if you're wet, you just got to, you got to change and put some dry clothes on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, seems, it seems like an annoying minute to waste, but uh, surely it's got yeah. to pay dividends. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Very good. Well, we should talk about some gear then. So you're, you're Hocker sponsored athlete. Uh, have, have you tried out the Hocker Tecton X, the, the, the carbon plated trail shoot? I have. Um, yeah, they're really comfy, really bouncy. Um, I haven't been able to wear them properly and be able to run properly because I haven't had them for that long and I've been pregnant for quite a while now. Um, but I, yeah, they'd be, they'd be great. Mm. And, and, and I guess how do they compare to the Hocker, you know, road shoe, carbon plated sort of stuff? What's, what's the difference there? Um, they feel a lot more comfortable, a lot more bouncy than the road ones. The road ones seem a lot stiffer. Um, and I guess that's because they've got the two um, parallel carbon plates next to yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. So it's not one one big piece. It's a couple of couple of different pieces. It's, there. it's two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you still got a little bit of feel for the trail and what have you, a bit of movement. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, totally. Okay. Oh, fantastic. I'll have to have a chat with Sean down at Renault and see if you can uh, yeah, get us in a pair. We should actually go over and uh, have a chat to him. Matty the Wolfman has uh, tried on a pair of Hocker Max Supersonic. So we'll shoot over there now and get a quick shoe review. Okay, Sean, thanks for uh, joining us. I'm excited to talk about the Hocker Supersonic. Yeah, the Max Supersonic. Yeah, great to... Um... Great to be chatting again. Uh, what about this weather? Oh, mate, the rain has not stopped, has it? Oh, I've been selling a lot of flippers lately <laughs> yeah. in store. So, yeah, flipper sales have gone through the roof. But, yeah. Swimwear. But, yeah, I just can't wait to see some sunshine. Yeah, everyone's in the same boat. So that's all right. But plenty of time to shop for shoes. Yes, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, so... Yes, but the Max Supersonic, um, you've been wearing them. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I really like them. Um, it's just a it's soft, spongy sort of shoe. I do my, my long roadish runs in them. Yeah. And um, they're super comfortable. Um, don't, don't pull up sore after the run. You know, um, yes, I, I, I'm really happy with them. I love them. Yeah, good. I mean, a lot of people that were wearing the Mac 4, I mean, a lot of... There's a lot of questions about what's the difference between the Mac 4 and the Mac Supersonic. And, you know, the Mac 4 was such a light shoe, you know, 232 grams. Um, it was sort of your everyday running shoe. It appealed to a lot of runners. 
uh, nice and smooth. Um, it had the, the ProFly uh, foam uh, midsole that was nice and soft. And then with the Max Supersonic, um, the big difference they've come out with, it's a ProFly Plus uh, midsole construction. So the foam is more bouncy. It's more responsive. Um, it's basically, it's a snappy sort of more tempo, up-tempo shoe to wear. So fast, a lot faster um, than, you, than your Mac 4. So that's one of the big differences between the two. So, um, yeah, did you feel that when you were running running in it yeah look it is it, it it feels bouncy and we should say now that it's it doesn't these shoes don't have plates in them they're just we're no, just this is not a carbon shoe this yeah. Is, yeah just the new profile plus which is yeah the new midfile midsole from from hocker so yeah just it's more of it more responsive yeah and it that's exactly right that's that's how it feels it's just nice light and responsive and and it's it's good that like you feel like you can just go cruising in it or if you want to run a bit faster then yeah it's it's yeah pretty suitable yeah. I mean, the pattern and the midsoles on the bottom still the same it's a five mil drop um it's the max supersonic it's actually a, a it's not much but it's a few grams heavier um than the mac 4 which i think the upper on this shoe is a jacquard mesh so i think that and you've got your pull tab behind on the heel counter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've asked a few questions about what that purpose is. I don't know if they were targeting triathlon. Oh, yes. Shoe where yeah. you've, you've, you've got your elastic laces in, um, you know, you come out, transition area, you haven't got your socks on, and then you just pull the tab. It's easy to just go straight on and away you go. Mm. So maybe that, and that probably um, puts it in that, a little bit heavier than your than your Mac Four, just having that bit of extra material. But um, yeah, nice poppy color as well. Yeah, is that, does um, it? It's fluoro orange. Does it come in any other colors? Uh, I don't think so. This is just yeah, male female with the same color. Yep. And uh, yeah, just that one color at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's um, no, it's had a it's a it's had a pretty good response it's a bit mixed i think people wearing the because it is 30 dollars more expensive than the mac 4 i think sometimes the runner's expectations is that and there was a bit of hype a lot of hype behind this shoe that wow you, i've come out of a mac 4 i'm going to put this shoe on and it's going to blow my mind um where a lot of people have been very happy with it but i i think the expectations were very high with the extra price and um, some people have been just a little bit, mm, you know, my Mac 4, you know, I, I've, I'd probably stay in them. Yeah, yep. But, but yeah, but as I said, everyone's different. It'll be interesting to to uh, speak to Stephen Redfern, who has just did that, uh, I think it was 48-hour or 24-hour down in Canberra. Yep. Uh, and he was he was wearing them for, for that race, so... Um, if anybody, you know, running in a shoe for, for that long, if you're <laughs> round and round the track, it'll be interesting just to, to get his feedback, um, yeah, as he does clock up the Ks. Yeah, oh, that's good to know. And so the Mac 4, if if people are thinking, okay, they just want a, a good training shoe, um, if, you, if people are training for, you know, longer distances, half marathon and marathon, is a Mac 4 a, a good road training shoe? Mac 4 is your great, a great shoe. Yeah. Great yeah. shoe. Yeah, yeah, great shoe for that. And then, obviously, your supersonics, your more 
more tempo, more high speed. Um, and, yeah, a little bit more, I don't know whether you felt, it's got a little bit more cushioning around the, the counter heel and the tongue's a little bit more padded as well. So it does feel like it fits, like, a, you know, a, a hugs the foot a lot more better. Yeah. Um, or a lot more than the Mac 4. Yeah, Mac 4's got quite a light tongue and quite light around your heel, so that you feel a little bit more locked in with the supersonic. Um, you know, I've sort of put two on and walked around, and that's how I felt anyway. Yeah, no, it's a comfy shoe. Love it. Mm. No worries, mate. All right, well, thanks for the chat, and, no um, yeah, look forward to uh, chatting when, when the next shoe's released. Yeah, for sure, mate, and, yeah, remember all Running Matters podcast members... Come down and you will get your discount. Um, And, yeah, it'd be great to just have a chat with everyone. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, mate. Thanks for your time, Sean. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Talk to you, mate. See ya. Okay. Thanks, Maddie and Sean. So, Kelly, you're a coach and OT and now a PhD recipient. Um, Very busy girl, that's for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about your PhD thesis? Yeah, sure. So, um yeah, I'm an occupational therapist by background and I was working in uh, community rehab at the time, in neuro rehab, so mostly with stroke clients. And um, I guess we were finding that um, clients were coming to us having been in the acute setting, rehab setting, and then now in community rehab. And they had piles of paper that they were getting exercises from the OT, the physio, the speech therapist, um, and they weren't doing any of them because the pile had grown and they were overwhelmed. And, um, yeah, so we wanted to find, a, I, I guess, a simple and practical um, option for to make sure that they were getting some exercise so that they could improve. So it was just as simple as picking up their phone and filming them doing their exercises um, and seeing, you know, did that have benefits? Um, also lending them we, we got some funding for some ipads and lending some of them who didn't you uh, usually have technology um lending the ipads to them so that they had um had that available so that sort of got extended to other parts of the service um looking at people post knee replacement hip replacement things like that mm-hmm. and um i think whilst objectively you know they didn't necessarily have better outcomes there were lots of other benefits to using that including you know the fact that their family could see what they were meant to be doing mm-hmm. um they could hear and see the therapist um giving them um instructions um rather than seeing a stick figure on a piece of paper and trying to figure it out um yeah heaps of things like that and they could see their progress over time as well so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was good, and then we stepped into COVID, and it became even more relevant um, than before. Um, and it's something that I've definitely started using in my own practice. If I go see the physio or something now, to say, "Hey, can you film this for me?" Um, and it's just such a better way of keeping track and um, and actually, you know, being able to follow instructions properly. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that. I've certainly spent some money on some uh, software to do very much the same thing over the years. And yeah, just taking a video on a phone sounds like a much better and easier option. Um, yep. What uh, what sort of time scale did they run it over? Like how long were they testing the objective change? 
Um, we did a randomised control trial for, oh, I think, like an individual client was probably over six to eight weeks, mm-hmm. maybe up to 12 weeks. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. should know all this information about my own PhD. <laughs> 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 it wouldn't have been beyond 12 weeks, put it that way. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was about eight. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I guess it's really hard to, to measure objectively the change there, but you would think if they're doing the exercise because they've, they've got something in front of them there to do it with over time, that's going to pay much bigger dividends. So, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I, I love yep. that. And, and are we going by Dr. Kell these days? <laughs> I haven't really used it very much. <laughs> I should. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. Dr. Angel sounds pretty good. Though. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see you on a podium with that name. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> uh, and, and can you tell us a little bit, bit about your, uh, your, your coaching service, Endurance Edge? Yeah, so um, I guess we, um, it's myself, um, through um, my, me and my hubby's business, Endurance Edge. And um, I've also got Jessica Collins um, from down in Hobart um, as our second coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use training peaks. We create individualised programs for, for runners. Um, most of them would be trail and ultra runners, but we've got a, a big mix from people that are trying to beat cutoffs from others like Jess who are representing Australia. So... Yeah. yeah, good fun. Fantastic. And um, I, I saw a great photo of a, a beer mile last year. How did they all go? <laughs> They're all terrible. Most of them can't skull. <laughs> but we do try and do do that every year. But, yeah, we've got to get some beer, beer skull training happening. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a couple of blokes in our running group that would be able to give you a few lessons, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we had a crack in one a couple of years ago, but once again, COVID buggers these things up, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, and, and so you, you go back to the OT thing, you've worked a lot in public health over the time. How, how do you think Australia is going at getting our population moving in general terms? Do you, do you see an improvement in public health associated with the rise of the ultra runner? Hmm. No. No. <laughs> um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I think ultra running is still such a small little community in Australia. Um, and you look internationally, it's, it's huge. Um, and it's definitely, you know, one of the fastest growing sports here, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, there's still only a select group of people that are, that are keen and interested. And um, unfortunately, in public health, you tend to see the worst of the worst. So it's hard to... Um, yeah, it's hard to see that in the in the workplace. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so in general terms, you, you, you're not seeing good outcomes in terms of people's movement and and you know health profile. Yeah, I work in community health, and so we deal with a lot of uh, chronic health conditions, and um, we're lucky that we have a health promotion team where we are, and um, they're definitely doing a lot of work in the space. Um, with local footy clubs and also trying to get a local park run started and, and trying to start getting people moving more. But I'm definitely an advocate for preventative health and I think that we need to do that a lot more so that we don't end up with these chronic conditions that we need to treat later because preventative medicine would be so much better. Yeah, it but- certainly makes a lot of sense. It's a lot easier to uh, fix something that's not there already, that's for sure. Um, I was having a couple of conversations with some trail runners in terms of, you know, the rise of, of ultra running and, and ultra trail Australia particularly, but there are other races in, in the same category. 
What, what's your stance on someone being able to enter a 100K race basically from, from the couch with no particular qualification there? Mm. Um, look, I don't think it's overly smart. <laughs> um, I think it's good when they have some qualification standards, not only for the athlete's health, but for the organisers and the volunteers that are out there forever as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that we need to be real about the risks and um, <clears throat> and the people that are out there not getting paid to stand out there all night, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, so I think it's important to have some, some guidelines. Um, but also, you know, if people don't train properly, they're going to end up really injured and then they're going to hate it. So, you know, I've, I've had a lot, a lot of athletes come to me and get a bit too excited and I've had to really talk them down and, go, and say, you know, let's let's take this a bit more gradual because, and usually they're the people that, that don't listen and then they, you know, they go and do that 100K race anyway and ruin them themselves and then they don't run for the next six months. So, yeah. or ever again. So, you know, yeah. we want to balance that joy and that. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of like, you know, a, a public health sort of scenario, you want to keep people active for as long as humanly possible, not try one hundred k race, hate it, never do it again kind of thing. Um, yeah. Would you prefer to see some of these races with shorter cutoffs or yeah, less time available for the, the tougher version, say the, the 100K race with a, with a shorter cutoff there? Mm. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on the event, but... I would prefer to see people enter yeah, distances that are more realistic for themselves hmm. as opposed to trying to do things that that is probably not smart. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I guess in, in the age of uh, yeah, Instagram photos of everything, they, they, they tend to choose the most hardcore version um, for, yeah. for that purpose. So they're not always thinking, you know, in, in the smartest way possible. So... And it's really hard with the rise of all these 200 milers as well because, you know, there's, there's so many people entering these things, but they're pretty intense, you know. It's a long way. Um, so, and I know lots of people entering them that haven't even done a 100-mile race. Like, it's a pretty big step up, you know. Yeah, I like the idea of that progression. Yeah, um, and I know, like, your your first trail run was 100Ks, I guess, but the, the Oxfam seems like it's a slightly different version and a nice way to get into these things yeah yeah i guess i've never put it into perspective like that that's true Mm. um in a way um but yeah that's you know you know you're going to be walking a lot in that and that's more of a it's a different sort of challenge i guess but yeah um yeah i guess it's called oxfam trail walker so there's a different vibe there exactly (laughs) (laughs) Um, i think you know we sat and had had spaghetti and pumpkin soup in the middle of it so <laughs> it's not overly competitive there that's right um what, what's what's your take on some of these races actually having walk in their name like um i was looking through the results sheet the great ocean walk hundred the great north walk hundred do you think uh it's giving it the wrong vibe there <laughs> that's the title of the trail isn't it <laughs> like that's the right. title of the race so you have to use the title of the trail again but yeah people could could take that the wrong way if they didn't know <laughs> <laughs> that's right now um i've seen one of your sponsors uh is a bra manufacturer as, as someone who's completely ignorant as to the mechanics of the bra um apart from trying to fumble around with them as a as a teenager um <laughs> what uh what what do i need to know about uh, a bra and its fitting 
Yeah, so there's actually heaps of research on this now and the, um, the Female Health Performance Initiative um, is, a, is a great thing to, to Google for those who want more information on female health, but the AIS are leading um, a lot of um, research into female health, um, which is awesome. Um, so in terms of bras, I guess it's, you know, it's to do with, with bounce and all the effect of, of comfort and pain and, you know, every woman is different, so we're, we're built differently and you need to have the right support. Um, yeah, for, for all of those reasons, um, it's going to make life a lot more comfortable, especially having had a baby now and having breastfed for a long time and um, all, of, all of those factors on top of that. Yeah. And, and, and so where does one go to have a bra properly fitted? Excuse my ignorance. No, and it's hard. It's hard in Australia. Um, so She Science is um, a niche fit, um, bra fitting shop and it's led by uh, Tish, who is actually a podiatrist. So she went from feet to boobs, and um, but used the same concept. So you you get on, you get in there, you try on some bras, and you run on a treadmill, yeah. and they look at um, yeah different factors of, of bounce with the breast. There you go. That's that's some serious niche action there. <laughs> the feet, feet, feet to boobs is that's that's a great side <laughs> hustle. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. think one of the main things is that um, people, especially ultra runners, complain of chafe all the time under their breast line and um you know that's something that can be easily fixed by having a, the right fit and you know i think they say you should um change your bra every six months yeah right okay it's not like it's so expensive so they, yeah. it's not like a kilometer thing like 900 k's like a pair of shoes no i'd say about six months <laughs> it depends how often you wash it but yeah. <laughs> That's a good call. And do you think there's any room in the market for a male version, the man's ear or the bro? <laughs> well, it depends. There's a few big men out there. There certainly are. And I'm sure there's a fair bit of chafing going on. I've seen a lot of nipple chafe. So, you know, I, I've never seen nipple chafe on a woman. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I think there's a, there's a hole in the market there, Kelly. Exactly. We're one step ahead already. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so, look, you're, you're an incredibly busy woman. You know, you're, you're ready to give birth to your second bub. What, what's on the horizon in terms of running in the next year or two? Yeah, so I guess we'll just see how my body copes um, after this one. Um, I'll use the same approach that I did last time, um, take it easy for the first three months and then slowly um, start the build back again. Um, I have signed up for the new Cozy race, the mm. 27K. Yep. Um, so hopefully I'm ready by then. If I'm not, then I won't do it. Uh, we'll just see what happens. And then I'm um, not sure after that. <laughs> we will see. Okay. Yeah, Western State's definitely still on the card. So yep. hopefully in 2023, I can have a big build and um, get fit again. And yeah. Push, push some prams up some hills. Yeah. It's going to be a bit more challenging with two. That's the only problem. So we'll see. <laughs> but it's going to be good, good for the leg strength, surely. Yeah, definitely going to give it a good shot. Ah, fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to that the process and seeing your road to Western States. Fingers crossed on there at the same time. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and look, if people want to engage you um, as a coach or get some advice on, you know, bras or anything like that, where, where's their best point of contact? Um, 
they can email me at kelly at endurance or um, find me on Instagram, Kellemo. Fantastic. I do have an athlete page on Facebook, but I'm absolutely terrible at keeping it up to date. So don't use that. All right. There's enough. That's enough points of contact. Who's plenty? Exactly. <laughs> Unreal. Well, good luck with the, the rest of the pregnancy. I hope everything goes well and everything's smooth and, and uh, get you back on the trails very soon afterwards. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks so much for your time, Kelly. Fail, 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 fail.